everybody. How's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Titan Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing okay. Although I do think I should probably give you a warning off the bat, this issue does contain the supervillain the shocker, and as a result of that, things do get a little bit blue later on. So seeing as this episode has definitely already shot any chance at a PG rating, I figure this is as good a time as any to talk to you about truck nuts. Are you familiar with these things? I think they peaked in popularity probably about five or six years ago, and they were something that I had heard about and had read about, but had never actually seen in the wild until a few days ago. If you aren't familiar with them, they are little fake testicles that people sometimes put on the back of their truck. I've never really understood why people do this, but when we were driving the other day, we spotted a pair, which was very exciting for us, and Lisa had a theory. She asked me, do you think people put those things on their trucks so that their truck is a giant penis. And I'll be honest, I'm a little bit embarrassed that that had never occurred to me. And I said, yes, absolutely. You've cracked the code. That is in fact why they have done it. It's a little bit on the nose, but I can think of no other possible explanation. But if those human-sized testicles are in fact connected to a truck-sized penis... There is no way in hell that that truck is going to be able to maintain an erection. So these people are just driving around in these impotent, flaccid truck dicks, and I can't believe that that's what they're going for. So I'm going to introduce a new product that is inflatable, truck-sized testicles for your truck, so that you can convey the message that perhaps your truck penis can maintain an erection. Or heck, you don't have to put these giant inflatable testicles on your truck. You can do whatever you want with them. They're yours, you know, once you've bought them from me for, mm, I don't know, $7,000. I know that price seems a little bit steep, but can you really put a price on being able to maintain a fictional erection for the penis substitute that you drive around in? I don't think so. Or if you can, it's $7,000. Anyway, I reckon that's enough of that malarkey. Let's talk about a comic book. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted, as so many are, by Devin Tuhey. If Starbucks sent $50, Hub would hawk bars of Cranberry Bliss. Before, during, or after, he read his synopsis. Thanks, Devin. It's true, I would. But only after I tested them and made sure that they weren't poisonous. So since they haven't advertised with us, you don't know if they're poisonous, so don't buy any. In fact, for safety's sake, it's probably best if you just don't buy any products unless they advertise on their show. I mean, safety first. <laughs> Defenders, number 64, October 1978. Dollar Bill's Documentary Disaster, Part 3, D-Day. Written by David Anthony Kraft, drawed by Sal Buscema, inked by Don Perlin, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Bob Sharon, and edited by Bob Hall. 
Defensive lineup. Valkyrie, Hellcat, Nighthawk, The Falcon, The Prowler, Son of Satan, Jack of Hearts, Polaris, Stingray, Black Goliath, Iron Fist, Hercules, Nova, Marvel Man, Torpedo, Captain Ultra, The White Tiger, Havoc, and Tagak the Leopard Lord. And kind of sort of Sagittarius, Whirlwind, Porcupine, The Beetle, Electro, The Blob, Batrock the Leaper, Plant Man, The Looter, and Electro. And Boomerang, Captain Scrag, Leapfrog, The Melter, Joe the Gorilla, Pecos, The Shocker, Libra, Toad, and some shitty kid. Previously in the Defenders. A few months ago, while the rest of the team was in Russia fighting an atomic asswipe named Codename Asswipe, sorcerously Scandinavian swordslinger Valkyrie used the name and transcripts of her host body, Barbara Norris, to enroll in classes at Empire State University. Well, on campus, Val made pals with a garrulous bearded film student named Dollar Bill. When the rest of her non-teammates returned from their Soviet sojourn, they decided to allow Valkyrie's new cinephile schoolmate to accompany them on their next few adventures. Unbeknownst to our apparently less-than-observant heroes, Dollar Bill was filming all of their exploits for his new documentary. When the Defenders finished foiling the ambitions of an evil cult of Blue Oyster cult-quoting demons bent on world domination, and failing an attempt to capture a hyper-violent campus vigilante named Lunatic with a K, who had hospitalized Val and Bill's mutual friend Ledge, our heroes settled in at their Long Island headquarters for some well-earned rest and relaxation. Unfortunately, their hiatus from hijinks proved to be a short one, for soon after the gang arrived at their bucolic base of operations, Dollar Bill's documentary aired on network television. Not only did the fickle filmmaker's movie expose the previously clandestine crime-fighting cadre to nationwide scrutiny, but the hirsute huckster concluded his magnum opus by directly appealing to any superheroes in the audience and entreating them to report to the Defender's address to sign up to join our titular non-team. Much to Nighthawk's chagrin, Dollar Bill's documentary was a resounding success, and the next morning no fewer than 19 B and C list Marvel superheroes arrived at our suddenly popular protagonist doorstep, intent on enlisting as defenders. Nighthawk reacted with his customary level of diplomacy and began trying to assault several of his unexpected visitors. What an asshole! Perhaps inspired by their host's unprovoked hostility, several of the aspiring new defenders decided that the Hulk represented an existential threat to humanity, and as such should be ambushed while he enjoyed a rare moment of quiet reflection. Bad move, aspiring new defenders! The Hulk was understandably annoyed by this unwarranted assault, and responded in kind by smacking the shit out of his assorted assailants. As the dozens of do-gooders became embroiled in this rapidly escalating melee, another outlandishly attired hero arrived on the scene. Iron Man had found some of Hellcat's undelivered mail lying around the Avengers' mansion, and decided to drop it off for her. While making his speedy delivery, the armored adventurer informed Patsy and Valkyrie that the assorted heroes who had congregated in Long Island weren't the only viewers who had taken Dollar Bill's documentary as a call to action. All across Manhattan, scores of colorfully clad criminals had decided to declare themselves defenders as well, in hopes of confusing the local constabulary as to their larcenous intentions. Once he had delivered this valuable piece of plot-forwarding information, Iron Man snuck off without saying goodbye. Bye, Tony! Hercules and Val decided to get the rest of the squabbling heroes' attention by hitting them with an uprooted tree. Hooray! The arboreal assault had its intended effect. The heroes stopped fighting each other long enough to listen to Valkyrie tell them that instead of punching each other, they should all be punching the supervillains who were besmirching the Defender's good name. Most of the swarm of superheroes agreed with Val's assessment, but the Hulk, Captain Marvel, Ms. Marvel, and Paladin decided to fuck off. 
by the Hulk, Captain Marvel, Ms. Marvel, and Paladin. The remaining 19 heroes decided to split into three teams, one of which would be led by Valkyrie, one by Hercules, and one by Nighthawk. Val and Kyle's respective squadrons took to the sky while Hercules and his seven heroes piled into Patsy's two-seater sports car for a cramped commute into the city. The unfortunate crime fighters who were reluctantly placed under Nighthawk's command soon found themselves resenting their new leader and his belligerent approach to management. They attempted to thwart a carjacking which was allegedly being committed by a sinister supervillain, only to find that the actual perpetrator was just some shitty kid pranking his dad. This incident did little to improve Kyle's crew's assessment of their commander's competence. While Nighthawk lost what little respect his cohort had for him, Hercules and his underlings cruised around the city in their clown car-esque claustrophobic conveyance. They soon stumbled across a group of supervillains who had declared themselves to be defenders before commencing to rob a series of stores in the Diamond District. The do-gooding defenders descended upon the diabolical defenders, and a Diamond District defender's Donnybrook broke out. Hooray! Just when the crime fighters were about to clobber their contemptible counterparts, the cops showed up and told all the self-declared defenders, good and bad alike, that they were under arrest. Gadzooks! Will the Marvel NYPD actually arrest someone who's not jeopardizing a fancy restaurant? How much longer will the defenders' new recruits put up with Kyle's bullshit? And just how many self-styled defenders are there in this issue anyway? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... No, of course not. About three panels. And at least 38, possibly 39. That's a lot of defenders. Hercules and his cadre of car-compacted crusaders attempt to convince the police that they are the for-real defenders, while their villainous counterparts, led by Sagittarius, do likewise. For those keeping track at home, Herc's team consists of Hercules, Hellcat, Captain Ultra, Black Goliath, White Tiger, Iron Fist, and Havoc, while Sagittarius's scurrilous squadron is made up of Sagittarius, Batroc the Leaper, the Blob, Electro, the Looter, the Beetle, Whirlwind, Porcupine, and Plant Man. Can't imagine how the police might not be able to keep track of who's on which side. Eventually, Hellcat remembers that she still has her Avengers ID card, which grants her the superheroic version of diplomatic immunity. She goes to hand it to the blustering police officer who is attempting to arrest the 16 assorted superpowered individuals like he thinks he's Cary Grant's character in a less overtly racist version of Gunga Din. Only it turns out Patsy left the Avengers card in her other outfit. Oh, Patsy. Fortunately, Hercules is also a former Avenger and keeps his ID tucked somewhere in his loincloth. Or, since he's Hercules, maybe it's in his... Lion cloth. Huh? You know? Because he killed the lion of Nemea and wears its impenetrable hide as a trophy? Huh? Either way, that card is probably all sweaty and gross. Things seem like they're starting to get sorted out, so while Herc is chatting up the cops, Sagittarius decides that now is the perfect time to try to sneak off with his bad guy brigade. Fortunately for our heroes, moving stealthily as a group isn't exactly a strong suit for a group of nine muscly dudes in garish, predominantly purple and green outfits. Hercules notices them leaving, and believing that the combination of his Avengers bona fides and the villain's flight should convince the authorities of his righteousness, he leads his team in pursuit. The good guys chase the bad guys into the subway, and everybody fights everybody. 
The baddies seem to be getting the worse of this subterranean scuffle and decide to hop on the next train, figuring that Electro can use his electricness to make the train go faster. Guys, I don't think that's how trains or electricity work. What do you think electricity is, anyway? Magnetism? The good guy defenders do their best to stop the bad guy defenders from leaving, but Black Goliath and Hercules succeed only in separating the rear car from the rest of the train and ruining the commute of an elderly couple who say old-timey things at them that are probably at least a little bit racist. The heroes head above ground and race off in an attempt to head the villains off at the pass. Across town, Nighthawk and his team of Polaris, Tagak the Leopard Lord, Marvel Man, Nova, and Son of Satan are patrolling the skies when Kyle hears a woman yelling that she is being robbed. The rest of the team is already borderline mutinous after a few hours of Kyle's, quote, leadership, unquote, but decide to go along and try to lend a hand. It turns out that the alleged robber is just that shitty kid from the last issue, and the woman yelling for his help is his mother, whose purse he has just grabbed in an attempt to get his allowance. Nighthawk grabs the kid and returns the purse, but Son of Satan is like, We didn't sign up for this team to arrest children. This is a waste of all of our time. Also, my dad is the devil. Kyle responds by having a little tantrum and yelling, I'm a stupid rich idiot and everybody has to do what I say forever. Now everybody shut up or I'll make poopies in my diaper like a baby. Okay, I'm paraphrasing, but only slightly. Nova Polaris, son of Satan, Marvel Man Nova, and Tagak the Leopard Lord have had enough of Kyle's bullshit and quit the team en masse. Bye Polaris, son of Satan, Marvel Man Nova, and Tagak the Leopard Lord. Soon after all the non-shitty heroes depart, a passerby yells that the New York Stock Exchange is under attack by a group of jerks claiming to be defenders. Nighthawk thinks to himself that if anything happens to all the money he has in stocks, then no one will do what he tells them to do, so he'd better try to preserve the current system of wealth distribution by arresting the fake defenders. Gee, how heroic. When the billionaire-do-well-bird enthusiast arrives at the trading floor, he finds that a bunch of evil jerks are wrecking the joint and yelling to anyone who will listen that they are the defenders. Oh, good. More defenders. This group of self-described defenders is led by Libra from the New Zodiac. His team roster is The Shocker, Boomerang, Leapfrog, Toad, The Melter, Pecos, Joe the Gorilla, and Captain Scrag. So not exactly A-listers. Libra explains that much like his astrological sign would suggest, he's all about balance. So once he heard that the Defenders' ranks had swelled to 23 members, he figured he better recruit as many bad guys as he could to even out the ranks. While the rest of the gang is randomly assaulting stockbrokers, the Shocker corners one employee and forces him to invest on his behalf. I didn't think that was how the stock market worked, but... I guess I was mistaken, because after making a few calls, the hostage apparently made the shocker over a million dollars by investing in Richmond Industries. Huh. You know, if I was the shocker, I'd sell those stocks as soon as I could, because the CEO of that company is known to make some pretty questionable decisions. As if to illustrate that point, Nighthawk decides to attack the nine supervillains single-handedly. It doesn't go great. The Melter shoots Kyle with a laser beam thing that comes out of his tummy and knocks the affluent avian aficionado unconscious. Hooray! By KOing a belligerent plutocrat, I think the Melter just melted his way into my heart. Once Kyle is taken care of, Libra and his criminal cronies depart. 
A few minutes later, an addled Nighthawk wakes up and takes off in search of them. While a concussed Kyle wobbles around the skies half-heartedly seeking his quarry, Patsy, Hercules, and the rest of their subset of superheroes have set up to intercept the runaway train that Sagittarius and his hench people are trying to escape on. Hercules sets his feet and punches out the train. Impressive. With their commandeered subway car out of commission, the villains are forced to once again mix it up with the heroes. In the ensuing chaos, the blob starts choking Patsy out. But, just as it seems that the hellacious Hellcat is done for, she reflexively releases a concussive mental blast that knocks out all the heroes, villains, and presumably any bystanders who are unlucky enough to be standing within a two-block radius of the desperate defender. As she struggles to regain her breath, Patsy thinks to herself, Huh, I didn't know I could do that. Me neither, Patsy. In another part of the city, Valkyrie and her team of the Prowler, Stingray, the Falcon, Jack of Hearts, and Torpedo bump into a still groggy Nighthawk. Kyle fills Val and her pals in on what has transpired, presumably leaving out the parts where he was being a total dipshit, which makes it a pretty short story. With Nighthawk in tow, Valkyrie's team takes off in search of Libra's crew of counterfeit defenders. They don't have to search very long. When the heroes catch up with them a few minutes later, Libra and company are in the process of stealing the Staten Island Ferry. Interesting choice. Can't imagine that a ferry has a particularly high resale value, although, given the amount of supervillains who choose to operate out of bases on secret islands, I might be wrong about that. Regardless, the heroes confront the villains aboard the large, slow-moving boat. Wait a minute. Heroes? Villains? A boat? Could it be? Yup! A poop-deck Donnybrook breaks out! Hooray! As soon as the fight starts, Libra and the Toad make a run for it. Bye, Libra and the Toad! Joe the Gorilla, who sadly is not an actual gorilla, but rather a muscly hippie in a green turtleneck, starts choking Valkyrie. That's when everything goes all higgledy-piggledy. For some reason, Val starts hallucinating that she is aboard an Asgardian Viking ship and is surrounded by bloodthirsty trolls. She starts lashing out wildly at friend and foe alike, quickly dispatching all of her enemies and allies with vicious blows from the flat of her sword. After being beaten up by the woman who was leading them into battle, Stingray, the Falcon, the Prowler, Jack of Hearts, and Torpedo hastily decide to tender their resignation from the defenders. Bye, Stingray, the Falcon, the Prowler, Jack of Hearts, and Torpedo. Nighthawk, who I guess had been standing off to one side during the battle, approaches Val and is like, Great job, Val. You not only beat up all the bad guys, but you also attacked all our allies, just like I was trying to do before. Sweet. That'll show them for not wanting to follow my belligerently shouted, poorly thought-out orders. Val responds by grabbing Kyle and choking the shit out of him. Hooray! I guess she thinks he's an evil troll, which is understandable. Unfortunately, before she fully chokes out her temperamental teammate, Valkyrie snaps out of it and is horrified by her actions. Kyle tries to console her, but it appears that the internal struggle between the sorcerously created Asgardian persona of Valkyrie and that of her human host body Barbara Norris is finally coming to a head. Meanwhile, in a bunker in the USSR, some higher-ups in the Soviet government have just gotten word that codename Fuckface may be up to his old tricks again in Siberia, and that all of mankind is likely doomed. Eh, we had a good run. And 
And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I am also doing well. Good. We took Finley in to get a haircut the other day, and he got a report card from his haircut. Oh, how'd he do? He did great. He fucking aced that haircut. Nice. Although, I wish I got report cards from haircuts. Could ask. Yeah, I guess. I also have only given myself haircuts. Well, even so better. I don't want I don't want to do a self evaluation, but if Lisa and I ever have kids, they're gonna have to go a long way to knock this report card off the fridge, because the hairdresser described Finley as a perfect angel baby sent from heaven. Wow. Yeah, that's hard to top. Yep. So good job, Finley. Yeah. I do wish I got report cards for haircuts though. You could make it a thing. I guess. Would you want one? I don't really know what I would do with that information. <laughs> right. Like, try to be better at getting haircuts. Go get my haircut somewhere else. Yeah, probably. that would probably be my reaction as well. Mm. Also, if somebody did say that I was a perfect angel baby sent from heaven, I also might look for a haircut somewhere else because it no. would feel weird. Well, and also, like, you're a full-grown man angel sent from heaven, Corey. So when you're filling out those reviews on Titan of the Defense... <laughs> I think that you should describe this podcast as a perfect angel baby sent from heaven. And also, if you're looking to cut my dog's hair, you're in for a real treat. Mm. You want to talk about a comic book? Sure. Corey, what do you think of this comic book? It was pretty fun. Kind of more the same in a lot of ways. Yeah. I feel kind of the same. It was good. It was a little bit of a letdown. I wanted more out of the Defenders for a Day story, and I think this kind of wraps it up. I feel like it was kind of a wasted opportunity with all of these heroes, which I think was in some ways kind of the point of the story. But I really like a lot of these characters, and I would have liked to have seen them be more than just kind of Defender cannon fodder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you can kind of sum it up as a combination of Val being too much of a scary, powerful woman, and Nighthawk just being too much of an asshole. Oh, and Hellcat being too much of a scary, powerful woman. Yep. So, yep. Too, too much strong women. Yeah. Too many. Always leads to disaster. In comic books, at least, that is really a running trope that you get. Mm. Uh, you have Raven, which we've seen be a real big thing. There was the Dark Phoenix. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially if a lady's named after a bird. Look out. But... In this, too, there there does seem to be an element that is a cautionary tale about letting women specifically become powerful, which is kind of shitty. And the weird thing about, I guess not weird, but the disappointingly expected thing about it is that both of them, when they're at the zenith of their power, have no fucking idea what they're doing. Yeah. Just like, shit got real, I blacked out, and kicked all this ass. So what do you think is going on with Val? In terms of going back to her Asgardian flashback? Yeah, it's, I mean, Val having some degree of mental instability, at least in her Barbara Norris form, has been something that came up before, both under the Engelhart and Gerber runs of the Defenders. But it has never manifested in a form anything like this. I think traditionally her sorcerously appointed comic book madness has manifested itself by a long string of capital A's. Which we do see her induce in Joe the Gorilla by punching him off the boat. 
but specifically having a form of hallucination where she is in ancient Asgard fighting rock trolls, that seems pretty new. Yeah, it seemed totally new and also weird because, as you said, we've seen her crack up a little bit in the past, but it's almost like a incidental thing that then leads to reflection about my character. Right. Her, her character. And I'm curious as to what would be the inspiration for this particular thing happening at this point. If it's the result of her confrontation with Lunatic in the past, if it is the fact that she's trying to, as Valkyrie, take on more Barbara Norris-like activities or more like earthly activities, like attending college. I think there could be some interesting stuff going on there, but right now it does seem just kind of out of nowhere and almost a DSX machina for wrapping up this Defenders for a Day storyline. We need to scare off the rest of the Defenders, so this happens. Yeah, I also noted too before she has that kind of hallucination where she kicks all the butt. Somebody, I can't remember who, one of the bad guys, I guess, makes a crack about, like, here comes your feminist friend or yeah something. I was like, oh, okay, something's going to happen <laughs> here. I believe that was Leapfrog who was tussling with the Falcon. Ah, yeah. Leapfrog is a guy who can jump real good. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, the bad guys that show up in this issue. We got nine new bad guy defenders in this one. Libra, we have seen before, to an extent, mm -hmm. when he showed up in the Scorpio storyline. Mm -hmm. He just kind of pieced out of the whole thing because he said he's only interested in balance because that's his Zodiac thing. And so he wanted to make sure the sides were even and it seemed like the Zodiac had the upper hand so he decided to peace out. In reality, probably he realized that the plan of stealing a ferry as a getaway boat was really dumb. Oh, no, no. I mean, in the Scorpio storyline, he did that. Well, he does that here, too. Right, right. Well, in this one, it was more he decided to found a whole team of bad guys alongside his buddy, Saggy, because he's like, well, I noticed there were about 60 new defenders on the good guy side, so I needed to make there be a bunch of bad guys. And yeah, you're right. Stealing a ferry does seem like a dumb plan. Where are you going to put that thing? Also, I'm led to believe they're not really fast yeah, not a great getaway vehicle. Mm -mm. So, you knew Libra. Were there any other of the new bad guys that you recognized? Toad seemed familiar. I had to but look him up to jog my memory about him being a, like uh, from the X-Men, older X-Men days of baddie. Right. He, he's another guy who, it seems like a bit of a redundancy on this team, is real good at jumps. Two jumpers. I... He also later on got a really sticky spit. That's his secondary mutation. <laughs> That's gross. Yeah. Ooh, and a prehensile-like frog tongue that's real long. Oh, yeah, I remember. There's a, some fight where, I don't know, somebody was pulling on it. Yeah. Cyclops Ugh. or something. Yeah, no, all we get out of him in this issue is he kind of humps Libra's leg. He gets real excited about equilibrium or something being restored. Yeah, he. I mean, that is his main, at this point in comic books, his main personality trait is much like his name, he is a toady. We meet another one of the bad guys in this whose name has nothing to do with his personality or really his power set, and that is The Shocker. Did you know anything about him? Is that the guy that shoots the rays out of his belly? No, that's the Melter, and that's a melting ray. Oh, okay. Shocker is the guy who has two fingers on one side and then a pinky on the other. <laughs> uh, Shocker... <laughs> Shaking my head. 
Shocker is the guy in the pink and yellow suit that is mostly fishnets, and then he has a V on his belt. I did not recognize him, but he had a pretty noteworthy outfit. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about him later in that capacity. But his powers, his name is the Shocker, so what would you think his powers are? Uh, Zapping people with electricity. No. Surprising people with plot twists. Not really, although I suppose the fact that his powers are making short bursts of air that he calls shockwaves and can control and not be influenced by vibrations is somewhat of a plot twist. That sounds so lame, not being influenced by vibrations. Yeah. I bet it's cool. Like if somebody just comes at you with real bad vibes, you just yeah. let that slide off. Or like if you just really need to hit something made out of metal with a hammer. Like, that'd be pretty cool. Oh. Yeah, one time I had to replace this widget inside of the oven. Mm-hmm. But to get it off, I had to like bang on this thing with a wrench. And if you ever done that inside of an oven, you would be happy to have a shock wave vibration resisting power because it is super loud yeah i think that is the general thing that his name comes from is shock absorption Mm. so he's like having shock absorbers in a car but it seems like he should have electricity powers yeah or surprising powers yeah joe the gorilla uh any familiarity with him not really he looks kind of like the guy that's um He's come up on this podcast before. The I forget his name. The, the, the white dude, that's one of the bad guys in Enter the Dragon with the beard. Big karate man. Yeah. I forget his name. It's not Bill Superfoot Wallace, but I thought it was, and you were right about so that. Jim Wall wrong. or Bob Wall? Or I think it is Bob it. Wall. That might be a different guy. But anyway, he looks kind of like a cross between him and uh, that singer Ray LaMontagne. Ooh. That was what I was... I was like, I bet he has a very soothing, soulful voice. Probably. Joe the Gorilla is one of three bad guys who show up on this team who are from a group called the Split Second Men, something like that. They fought the Avengers. They were dramatically underpowered, especially in that regard. They were led by a guy named Cronus, who you would think, much like the Shocker, you would think he had some kind of a time control thing, but it's more like a Clock King from Batman situation where he's just really good at time management. It's like, okay, you need to do this at this exact time, and then everything will work out well. That is a hell of a skill, but it, I don't feel like it translates to comics very well. No, I I agree. I can see where, yes, like really good time management and particularly multitasking ability is certainly a powerful skill and one that I wished I possessed mastery of, but not necessarily what you're looking for in a slam-bang action situation anyway he was the leader and the other people on his crew the ones who don't appear in this issue are onion head pinstripes and sweet william what (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i just i can picture them all in my head right now but i bet that's not what they look like um so onion head is just like a sailor looking dude who is wearing one of those like dock worker hats oh which i guess is kind of oniony looking I think that's where he gets his name from. Hmm. Pinstripes is a, like, maitre d'-looking guy who Mm -hmm. I think has a Tommy gun, but I'm not sure. And then Sweet William uh, looks a lot like Roy Thomas, and I think that might be the artist uh, taking a little jab at Roy Thomas and is, like, super nice and passive-aggressive but shoots people a lot with a machine gun. Wow. 
the guys who are on that squad who do appear in this book are, as mentioned, Joe the Gorilla, who's just a big, strong, hippie-looking guy, Pecos, who's a cowboy-looking fella, who has two six-guns and presumably cowboy-y skills, and Captain Scrag. Captain Scrag is a sea captain. Arr. And seems pretty out of his depth in this. He is in just one panel, and Joe the Gorilla gets punched into him, and then he goes, ah! And that's it for him. But, uh, yeah, that's the split second, men. It seems weird that three of them showed up in this. They were clearly running out of, like, B-level or C or, let's be frank, Z-level hmm. supervillains. But, uh, that's how you ended up with Joe the Gorilla, Captain Scrag, and Pecos in this issue. Other guys we saw, Leapfrog... As I said, jumps real good. Started off as a daredevil bad guy uh, toy maker. Boomerang. Throws boomerangs. And is also glad that he doesn't himself boomerang back when he's thrown Yeah, because he'd just get more punches. Mm -hmm. He is a former baseball player who got kicked out of the league for uh, throwing games and taking, like, mob money. And then, I guess, learned how to throw boomerangs. Because he was technically born in Australia, even though he was raised in the United States. That's a pretty weak backstory. It really is. The Melter, who you pointed out before, can melt iron with the ray that he shoots out of his tummy. That's just a device he invented. It's not an innate power. He fought Iron Man because he could melt iron. Oddly, he also uses his iron melting beam to knock out Nighthawk. Hmm. Which... Seems like it would more so just burn you horribly. Yeah, one would think. I mean, maybe if it's not iron, then it just doesn't know what to do with you. Like, it specifically can only melt iron. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just... Otherwise, it's just like, I don't know, just push him down, I guess? Big punch. Feeling. Yeah. Definitely can't melt steel beams. Not at that temperature. I have some videos I need to show you about that. Oh, good. <laughs> so yeah, Boomerang, Captain Scrag, Joe the Gorilla, Leapfrog, The Melter, Pecos, Libra... Shocker and Toad are the new bad guy defenders we see in this and not a hell of a lot to them. But I kind of enjoyed seeing a couple of them show up. It was fun to have a those big fight scenes with all kinds of craziness happening. Sure. I mean, not a Batrock the Leaper in the bunch of these scrubs, though. There was a Batrock the Leaper, no? Well, yeah, I know. I mean, in the new batch. Oh, oh, oh I see what you're saying. I'm yeah. saying Batrack the Leaper could leap circles around these other two leapy guys. Yeah, he set Zibar very high. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Do you think that one of the other bad guy defenders secretly had some kind of mind control power? Uh, why? Because we see that the blob is acting like he might be mind controlled in that he is strangling a cat. Oh. He chokes Hellcat out, and that is the triggering event for her, I guess, subconsciously wiping everybody out with a mental blast. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of the bad guy defenders have overt mind control powers, but there's still a lot we don't know about Libra and Sagittarius. I didn't know that the cat strangulation thing spanned worlds. Well, I'm assuming so. That's a powerful thing. My assumption powers? Yeah. Yeah. That's scary. <laughs> Thank you. What do you think about the art in this issue? It's good. Yeah, I agree. We get a more experienced colorist back in this issue, and 
I was really grateful for that, especially with the introduction of more characters. Mm -hmm. I think this issue has more costumed characters than any of the other three issues, which is saying quite a bit. And it is nice to have them kept track of a little bit more rigorously via that. We also get a different inker. We get Don Perlin instead of Jim Mooney. And I like Jim Mooney's inks, but I think Don Perlin, it's a little bit cleaner looking, you know? Just uh, cleaner lines, and I think between that and Bob Sharon doing the colors in this one, it ends up being just a little less muddy than the last issue overall. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, it was clean, Mm -hmm. despite lots of action. Indeed. Yeah, and we'll see more of Don Perlin later on. He's one of those artists who's been around forever. He started off in, like, Golden Age comics, and was working pretty consistently until the 90s. And he ends up taking over the the pencils in the Defenders once we get into the new Defenders era. So, I'm looking forward to that. Were you able to figure out exactly what was going on with the Shocker's stock market shenanigans? That didn't make a lick of sense. Now, I'm not a real financial whiz myself, but it seemed like two totally different things were happening. Like, one... The JV squad, bad guy defenders, largely were just like, hey, let's go fuck up the office where all these stocks are getting traded. Mm-hmm. And and then the shocker's like, no, man, I'm going to buy a bunch <laughs> of stocks somehow. Hey, pencil neck guy, come over here and make some calls or I'll kill you. Yeah, but it worked out for him. Or was the guy just like making shit up? I think the guy was just making shit up. He got on the phone and he was like, give me all your stock. And then he gives a piece of paper to the shocker. He's like, all right, this should be pretty good. I don't know. I think he might have done it. And what I hope happened there is we saw that the way he made the money was by buying or selling or somethinging stocks in Richmond Industries. Mm-hmm. Is the shocker going to be Kyle's new boss? It could be. I mean, I don't know. He got Maybe he got 51% of uh, the stock. So my entire knowledge of the stock market is derived from two films, Trading Places and Quicksilver. Mm. The uh, Kevin Bacon Bacon. bike racing slash stockbroking movie. Mm -hmm. I think the shocker is now Kyle's boss. Yeah, it depends. He's got the frozen orange juice futures locked up, Corey. And there was a guy who was called Gorilla in it, just like in Trading Places. It's like Clarence Beaks. Exactly. Uh So I think that's Mm -hmm. that. Kyle may be in trouble. I hope so. Headed for a real Randolph and Mortimer situation. You know what? I feel like anybody would be a better boss than Kyle. So I welcome the new The Shocker regime. Speaking of which, man, Nighthawk's spiral of bullshittery in terms of leadership is just continuing. I like that it comes to a head. I do too. I'm surprised the rest of the original Defenders haven't followed suit and just been like, what the fuck, dude? Just get out of here. I think it's because he's like that asshole friend. Like, he just sort of, he's like, well, he's still around. Yeah. They've just learned to ignore him. Yeah. Or like, just there's not the collective will to deal with kicking him out, I guess. Yeah. Just more trouble than it's worth. I think maybe that's why they had to establish that there are no real rules in the Defenders. Mm-hmm. And as much as that bites them in the ass, it does keep Nighthawk's decision to be the leader at like it minimizes that damage that he can do because they're all it says right here in the bylaws fuck you kyle we don't have to do what you say 
it just it really underscores that whole thing of anybody who's frantically running around declaring themselves in charge of a situation seldom can actually execute that if that authority was collectively given to them yeah it's a real alexander haig situation right man that one kid sure seems like a real piece of shit oh i don't like him at all his whole family is garbage you see where he gets it from like i don't know the mom didn't do anything bad except think she was getting she knew what was happening she knew that her kid was trying to like get his allowance money from her do you think so because he he runs up behind her and he grabs the purse and she's like ah you don't think she recognized him immediately that's her son and we saw the kid's dad pull the same shit yesterday where he was just like oh i'm being robbed of some big strong guy tried to steal my car superheroes attack yeah no totally true for the dad for the mom i did kind of give her the benefit of the doubt because i was already mad at the kid from the last issue in both of these though man like that kid specifically you're right it's within the course of like what 15 minutes it's tough to tell how much time has passed you wouldn't think that much but it's certainly the same day and also fucking nighthawk and his crew of defenders not recognizing that kid it seems like this happens back to back with what had just happened they don't appear to have done any other superheroing in the meantime so like the kid just walks half a block and then they're just like oh a different supervillain's up to some oh it's you you know even if that was him just trying to get his allowance from his mom the well, way you... he's doing it is so jerky that oh. i could forgive her for trying for calling to... superheroes to beat him up yeah yeah i can see that being the case He's like, you don't have a contract that says you get this five bucks a week or whatever it is. We don't know. I mean, he might have had to do a lot of chores. It's not promised. He doesn't seem like he's doing chores. No. So yeah, the the mom yells, help, robbery. And the kid does say, give me the bag, you old bag. That's shitty. It's awful. That's your mom. Oh, you're right. She is looking at him. Yeah. And then says that. Yeah, and it's she looks like she is specifically summoning the group of superheroes when she says that, too. But that does lead to just Nighthawk being such a dipshit. And finally, it is, I liked that it is Tagak who has had enough. I had not realized that Tagak was blind. Yeah, me neither. But he did mention it, and I I looked into it, and yeah, apparently, it especially sucks for him, because as we mentioned, he's Tagak the Leopard Lord, and he's from a different dimension, and he has a pet tiger that, or he has a pet leopard that got killed by cops. That leopard, he is blind, but he could see through the leopard's eyes. So he didn't just lose a friend, he lost his seeing eye leopard. Damn. It's really sad. It is weird, though, to just be like, what matter if Tagak is blind? So far, there are no supervillains to be seen. You're kind of bringing that up out of nowhere. That would be if I was like, I may have a peanut allergy, but you people are nuts. <laughs> Just I mean, I can't say that if I had a peanut allergy, I wouldn't say that. I mean, technically, a peanut isn't a nut. It's a legume. True. But, so bad job, Tagak, for not recognizing that a peanut is a legume. It did seem out of nowhere that he brought up his, his sightlessness. Yeah. But I do like that he was just like, no one talks to Tagak in that tone of voice. Because Nighthawk then is just like, he calls them crybabies and says, I call the shots, and if you don't like it, lump it. And they all collectively decide to lump it, and good for them. Fucking Nighthawk. Bad job, Kyle. 
There was one other disappointing thing that I noted in this, and that specifically I was disappointed with David Anthony Kraft for, and that is when White Tiger, who I believe we discussed last issue, is of Puerto Rican ancestry, is, I believe at the time, the only Puerto Rican superhero in the Marvel Universe, calls, I believe, Batroc the Leaper a jumping bean. Mm-hmm. And a reference to Mexican jumping beans, which is just like, do better, David Anthony Kraft. That's not cool. There's also a point in there at which he apparently forgets his native language, and uh, he says he's addressing the other heroes he's with, and he refers to them as muy compadres, which means very companions. Huh. Maybe that's not really White Tiger. Maybe that is a villain that has assumed his identity and made erroneous racial assumptions. <laughs> Bad Spanish. Yeah. I'm hoping that's the case, honestly. Mm. But I think more likely it's just uh, David Anthony Kraft doing some kind of shitty unintentional casual racism and poor mastery of Spanish. Yeah. Kind of a bummer. Mm-hmm. Nope, I had the same observations. One last thing of note which is pretty small but we do see dollar bill show back up and he has this ability that i think we've referred to it before of just that that insulation from consequence due to privilege that i don't know it must be really nice but like somebody's asking him hey how did how the defenders take it and he's like oh anyway let's not dwell on the past on to bigger <laughs> and better things like he just lets that like water off a duck's back yeah as he is pretty roughly it seems slapping his friend ledge on the back who had just gotten out of the hospital after having his skull crushed i believe Mm -hmm. was the phrase that was used something along those lines man what an asshole it's a very ham-fisted character Mm -hmm. i mean intentionally yeah and we see that ledge is hanging out with professor turk yeah who we are pretty sure is um lunatic lunatic yeah which is creepy yeah if your attacker who you don't know is your attacker, comes and brings you home from the hospital or something? Yeah. Ugh. Indeed. Speaking of, ugh, we do see a little tacked on end dealing with Sergei, where it looks like the Russian government thinks that he is up to his old bullshit again and is going to attack him. And also that the Red Guardian in her atomic form is getting too hard to contain, and they're freaked out about what's going to happen if she gets out. Yeah. I want to see the Red Guardian again. I'm just fucking done with codename dipshit. Maybe there'll be a pleasant, like, resolution where she will just bust out and be a super powerful atomic being and just... Just vaporize him instantly and then go live in the Savage Land. Or maybe that dissipates her power and she can go back to being a... Just, like, swashbuckling, freebooting. Freebooter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that would be nice. Oh, I'm still so mad at him for trapping her in that situation. He's just a pile of garbage, and I'm just sick of him, and I don't want him to get a redemptive arc, and I'm, I'm pretty sure they're going to give him one. Mm-mm. Vaporized inside of his amoeba by Red Guardian. That's... Can he maybe make reference to the fact that he pooped his pants, too? Of course. Okay. You don't fly around on a toilet all the time and <laughs> not make references to poop. Good call. Before we get into the minutia, we get to have a new segment that I call Mail Call. All right. We got a present in the mail. That is exciting. P.O. box. We actually got a couple, but one of them is for me and Lisa for Let the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. So we're going to open that one on that show. This is a gift from 
coincidentally, the man who's going to sing us into the minutia, Rick. Oh, thanks, Rick. So Rick has sent us... This is a, like an unboxing, if you will. Un-enveloping. Ooh. Oh, wow. Vampire Tales. Nice. I had made a little video about one episode of Vampire Tales, the one that saw a Morbius story and also a introduction of the character Satana. And Rick told me that he had these, and here they are. Pretty nice. We have Vampire Tales number six and number seven. Oh, look at that Dracula, daughter of Dracula. Whoa. Her name's Lilith, too, but I... she doesn't look like the Lilith that we know. Wow. Man, Pretty cool. Those are nice-looking books. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading them. It is kind of weird that Rick sent those into our P.O. box, which is, of course, Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. That's Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. Instead of just handing them to us when he comes over each week to sing us into the minutiae. Yeah, that is, that is odd. I think he just knows that I like getting mail. Yeah. Well, that was very thoughtful of him. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Rick. Now, would you mind singing us into the minutia? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts. We got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Yeah, thanks. So, Corey. Yep. Behold or be gone. Oh, okay. In this story, you had your first encounter with the villain, the Shocker. He was one of nine new bad guy defenders with varying degrees of minor powers who were introduced in this. Now, inspired by the Shocker, behold or be gone, having the powers of any one member of the new bad guy defenders, but you have a new nickname that all of your publicity is done under, that is a unrelated sexual reference. Wait, that, that's your nickname? Yep, your, your new name is going to be an unrelated your, sexual reference. Your hero name? Your new hero name, or bad guy name. I don't know what you're going to do with your powers. But you get the powers, you get to choose any one of them. How are you feeling about that? Behold or be gone? So, the question presupposes that there is going to be press... Yes. And if there is not press, if you're not going to do anything that would get a lot of press with this, then it's your new legal name. <laughs> do, I, do I get to choose the name? No. It's based on, I have nine different names chosen. Oh, you have them chosen Depending already. on which one of the bad guy's powers you choose, you get one of them. Wow. So the villains in question are Boomerang, who's real good at throwing things. Specifically Boomerang, but also you have uh, Major League Baseball uh, pitcher powers. Mm-hmm. Captain Scrag, you have the powers and proportional strength of a sea captain. Mm -hmm. Means you can finally go on that uh, seacaptainsonly.com. Been waiting so long. Joe the Gorilla, who is pretty strong mm -hmm. and has a turtleneck. Leapfrog, who jumps real good and can invent toys. The Melter, you can melt iron, but not steel. Not at those temperatures. <laughs> Pecos, who is good at cowboy stuff. Libra who can fly and turn himself intangible. The Shocker, the inspiration for this category, who has air blasts and shock absorption. Or Toad. And if you're the Toad, you can both jump real good, and if you want to have really sticky spit, you can have that one too. But I'm not going to hold you to that one. Wow. I think in terms of abilities to, I don't know, get away with doing fun stuff or stop bad people from doing stuff, 
that they shouldn't be doing, mm-hmm. Libra is probably the right choice. So I think I would I will behold, and I will go with Libra. And if I don't okay. get press, my legal name will be what? Uh, hand job in a minivan. <laughs> ah, it could be worse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> How about you? Did you behold or be gone? Yeah, I'm going to be real good at jump, so I'm going to be leapfrog. Uh, and why don't you pick a number one through nine, because I can see what they are, so it seems like a, oh, okay. a fair choice. How about uh, number two? Uh, okay. Ooh, I do not like... I would be the missionary. Had a real good jumping powers, and I'd be the missionary. Oh, man. I don't like that. That's a weird one. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Like, I like the non-sexual connotations to that much less than I like the sexual ones. Yeah, I think my new name sounds like way more fun. Yeah. So, okay, that is uh, two beholds for the missionary and handjob in a minivan. Behold! Behold. Corey, each issue of a Defenders comic has one character who has to act in a way contrary to their previously established character or motivation in a way that furthers the plot. To paraphrase the fat boys from Crush Groove, they just gotta be a sucker. In this issue, who was your sucker? So this is a little bit flimsy, but um, we, we did touch on it already and I went with Val. The reason being... Okay, so it's not out of character for her to have conflict between... The fact that the Barbara Norris and Valkyrie sides of her are potential personnel. Right. But this is the first time that I can recall we've seen her basically slip into a completely other reality while still fighting in the world. Yeah, to have her sorcerously induced madness take the form of hallucination or possibly dementia seems pretty out of character. I, I agree, and I actually had the same choice. It just seemed odd to, like, normally, even when she has her conflicts between the Barbara Norris and the, and the Valkyrie, that there is a degree of control or reflection or I'm going to figure this out. And here she's just kind of shattered. Yeah. She's just like, that was so fucking weird. I don't even know what to do. And Kyle's like, I'll get you some good drugs at the hospital. Yeah. I mean, I I'm... keep touching you even though you said, please don't. Yeah, so he's definitely acting in character. But, yeah, I think that's a solid choice. My backup was actually Captain Scrag. Uh, I don't know that much (laughs) about his previously established character. But for a sea captain, you'd think he'd want to be a little bit more autonomous than being, like, the eighth off the bench in a crew of scrubs. So, uh, yeah, it's Valkyrie or Captain Scrag. Maybe the captain part is just, like, a bad... Like, like when you call a large person oh like it's an ironic nickname that he has yeah or possibly just unrelated like say hand job in a minivan right because you can fly and turn intangible haters gonna hate (laughs) good point sartorially speaking which element of fashion did you feel was most noteworthy what 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 clothes you want to talk about Corey? yeah i got a few so we already touched on the shocker Yeah, it's a weird outfit that I feel like is playing into the idea of fetish wear to an extent. I mean, makes sense. A guy's name is The Shocker, and he has vibration-related powers that, yeah, maybe he would dress in all fishnets and have a V on his belt for, I guess, vibrations? I was thinking his outfit looked almost um, quilted. Oh, maybe. Rather than fishnets. 
Because well, it's I mean, all a different color than his skin, right? It's yellow. It would make sense if it was quilted because he is more absorptive. Yeah. <laughs> he has absorption powers, mm-hmm. uh, much like a quilted toilet paper. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe it is a quilt. That That would make more sense. Maybe he's wearing fishnets over a quilt. Good look. Yeah. <laughs> we talked a little bit about Joe the Gorillas. Yeah, outfit. I actually had him written down too because it's he's just wearing like some beige slacks and a green turtleneck. They are not beige. They are purple. Some. Oh, okay. He's got and the bad so guy he's colors. wearing. Yeah, he he is a generic bad guy who is dressed like a generic bad guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, very on brand for Joe the Gorilla. Yeah, I liked it. He's got kind of long hair, beardy. Yeah. Generic bad guy. Hippie bad guy in a turtleneck who is uh, trying to choke Val out. Any other fashion? There is one scene where we talked about him in the last Defenders issue that we went over, and it's the beetle and his gloves. But on page three, there's a scene where he's just, like, jumping into the frame and, like, gloves first. And they have these weird... Yeah, they got the sucker bits on on the fingertips. It is just the most... It's disturbing. It's disturbing, and it seems impractical. Yeah. Weird suction cup pipe cleaner hands. Very impractical. He should have been named Handjob in a van. <laughs> well, I told you, it has to be unrelated to their powers. <laughs> <laughs> Took a minute for that visual to fully yeah. sink in. <laughs> if you got little mouths at the end of each <laughs> finger, is that a handjob? I don't know. <laughs> What was your favorite sound effect? Both of mine came from Hercules punching things. Oh, okay. Um, I had one of those. Did you have a a blom? I had blom. Yeah, that's a that's the noise it makes when you when you punch a a blob. Yeah, it's very evocative. You can see that kind of making that noise. Uh, if you punch the blob in the tummy, it might make a blom mm-hmm. noise. Uh, I enjoyed that. In general, there were a lot of really good sound effects in this issue. It's almost as though like. Libra is in charge of the sound effects for the new Teen Titans and the Defenders. And so, like, the overall number of good sound effects has to say the same. And since we're getting none in the new Teen Titans, we're getting a ton of them in the Defenders. So that's kind of nice. Mm. The, the one that I think was maybe my favorite was the noise that it makes when Patsy gets her mental blast on. And it goes, Bee-zow! Mm-hmm. And I especially like that because the B is yellow and the Zhao is red. And it just makes for a really dynamic looking panel. It's also cool because it's a sound effect that it sounds like if Patsy was making up a sound effect, she would probably say something like that. Yeah, I can see that. Also, just I liked seeing that for the first half of it, the sound effect was just B. It's a good one. <laughs> and then maybe just everybody was passing out because they were so scared of bees. Mm. B Zhao could also be the sound effect that a space bee would make. Which means we're getting some space honey. Man, at long last. Finally. Bee-zow. Space honey. Mm. Any other sound effects? Um, you my said back... you had two that Hercules. Yeah, my backup was another Hercules punch and that made the noise. Bafka. Bafka? Mm-hmm. It's like BAFTA. What's that? I think it's a British Film and Television Awards. Oh, okay. I mean, maybe Bafka could win the BAFTA for best sound effect. Oh, if it, Hercules was British, he probably has a British act. He talks in like Elizabethan he English, more Britishy than uh, American. than Greek, yeah, or, or American. Or Greek. Yeah. yeah. So 
Yeah, I'm going to say he could maybe win a BAFTA for that sound effect. All right. That's probably a category. Vote for Hercules for the BAFTA for 1978 sound effects in a comic book. BAFK. That was BAFKA. B-A-F-K. Oh, BAFK. That's good. You could say BAFKA. Yeah. If you wanted to. Sure. I think if you were a blood and your favorite author was the guy who wrote the Metamorphosis and you didn't know how it was spelled, you might call him BAFKA. See, because some bloods refuse to say any words that start with the letter C. They'll start them with a B sound instead of a C uh, because they don't want to acknowledge the letter C starting any words. It's a incredibly goofy thing that terrifying people do. Doesn't Kafka start with a K, though? Well, that's why I said if you were confused about the spelling of his oh. name and you were a blood. Oh, so many layers. Yeah, well, that's Bafka for you. What was your pie not made out of steel for this issue? What words did you enjoy most, much like you would enjoy a pie, were it not made out of steel? Yeah, so there was a, a scene on the subway where some old ladies give a tongue lashing to the defenders, which at first I was delighted by, but then I realized I didn't know what the words meant exactly, and I stopped to look them up, and then it was less delightful. But, oh, so was it racist? There's elements of that. Okay. Oh, does she call them bohunks? Yeah, that's it. So old lady A says, that's it, you bunch of bohunks. Now that you've had your fun, go ahead and leave us taxpayers and senior citizens stranded. And then old lady B says, if you ask me, Martha, those so-called superheroes are nothing but mischievous scalawags. Mm. And I was like, scalawag is good. Scalawags and bohunks. How about that? So yeah, a bohunk is an old timey. Old timey slur against like Czechoslovakians? Yeah. Slavic yeah. people in general? Yeah, people that came from Central Europe as laborers. Yeah, it's um, it's weird. It's an old timey one that I think has gotten folded into almost being a more common usage generalist slur. But yeah, not cool, certainly. It was a phrase that I think I first encountered as being used by an old person in I think a Bloom County comic strip when i was a kid hmm. and then had to look it up that way mm -hmm. but scalawag that's something like captain scrag might say right so scalawag comes from uh, after the civil war in the south people that were still into the confederacy used it as a derogatory term for other white southerners that were working with the northern republicans in reconstruction especially those who were going to benefit financially from it so oh, it's kind of like, so like a race trader damn I did not know that. I thought it was a piratey I thing. I did, too. I always it sounds piratey. Doesn't it sound piratey? Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. So you would call somebody a scalawag if they were working with a carpetbagger? Exactly. Yeah. God damn it. I know. It's every time I get excited about some old-timey, fun-sounding word, I'm like, it's, I should, I should look yeah, this shit up. It's a really good instinct because, yeah, it turns out they're all racist. Yeah. Damn it. I thought that was a fun piratey word. I totally thought it was a pirate word also. <sighs> Fuck. Mm. I mean, to be fair, pirates were pretty shitty. Yep. Much as I like the idea of them. Oh, yeah. No, they were awful. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Interesting that those were your favorite words. Well, I didn't know they were <laughs> bad at first. It just sounded funny. Old ladies. Um, I really liked the fuck you, Nighthawk, that the resigning defenders collectively gave him. Mm -hmm. Specifically, Damien Hellstrom saying, In short, practice your self-important posturing on someone else, Nighthawk. Hmm. Zing. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. The other one I had was also directed at Nighthawk, and I choose to believe that Valkyrie is delivering this line in a moment of lucidity when she 
looks at an attacking Nighthawk and says, "'Tis a most loathsome troll! I detest thy kind!" And she starts strangling him. Yeah. Now, the art would seem to indicate that she believes him to be a literal troll at this point, but I don't know. I think he's more like an internet troll type person. Mm. She's being a bit prescient there and predicting that perhaps Nighthawk will go off with Whirlwind and Captain Ultra and form an MRA group and will be like trolling her on the internet and wearing fedoras together. Boo. I can totally see that happening. Not good. No, but tis a most loathsome troll. I detest thy kind. Made me happy to read that. Good job, Val. Good job, Val, indeed. Every issue of a Defender's comic has a best defender and a worst offender. In this issue, who did you find to be the worst offender? Man, I'm getting a little fucking tired of this, but it's it's Kyle because he does such a fucking <laughs> terrible job. He does. I can't not give it to him. A terrible job. I just, for variety's sake, I I might still end up going with Kyle, but I did want to float something by you. So I also had Herc in the category of doing a pretty terrible job in this issue, just because he is attempting to apprehend a group of villains because he is upset that they committed a crime against private property by stealing jewels from rich people. And in his attempt to stop them, he destroys a great deal of public property by punching out a train that could also kill a lot of people. Uh, So I think that's a really bad move and one that you see a surprising amount of in comic books. He destroys a ton of public property that the average taxpayer is benefiting from to protect the private property that is owned by a few rich people. Mm-hmm. And I hate that he did that. I still think Kyle is probably a little bit worse in this issue. Also, you got to kind of bring into account the fact that Hellcat and Val both beat up all of the bad guys and all of the good guys on their teams. That's not great. Mm-hmm. The one I want to float by you is, in the last issue, we did see that that little piece of shit kid called himself a defender before he stole the car. So technically, (laughs) he might be one of the defenders when he snatches his mom's purse and calls her an old bag. It's a pretty shitty thing to do. I hate that that kid didn't learn his lesson. Is he the worst offender? I like it. All right. I like it. Then, uh, yeah, one vote for Nighthawk, one vote for that little kid. Yeah. Good. Fuck that kid. Yeah, fuck that kid. Good call. I actually was wondering if there was a way I could <laughs> hang that on him, but... He called himself a, good, a no, defender. That's a fair argument. Yeah. Conversely, who was the best defender? This was actually really tricky for me. Yeah, there was a lot of good shit that happened. Uh, we actually just talked about it a minute ago, but I gave the nod to Hellstrom because of the real talk that he had uh, with Kyle. I thought that was a good fucking speech, and maybe it'll sink in. We'll see. I kind of want to give this to the shocker. <laughs> what? He's the new owner of Richmond Industries. I choose to believe that he stole the company out from Kyle. Oh, wow. If... He's the only one who really made use of the fact that they were in the stock exchange building when they were in there. Uh, He's calling himself a defender, so he's a defender. I mean, he seemed to be the only one of the bad guy defenders who actually benefited from this situation. Now, maybe he didn't. Maybe he got duped by that teller who didn't actually transfer any money on his behalf. But I think he pulled a pretty good uh, trading places scam. And uh, is the new owner of Richmond Industries, so I'm going to give this one to the Shocker. I am conflicted about a bad defender getting the best defender award, but uh, I can't really argue with your 
your logic and because I also don't really like Nighthawk, I'm I'm okay with it. Okay. So okay, one vote for uh Damien Hellstrom for telling Kyle to fuck off. And uh one vote for the shocker for really sticking it to Kyle. What was your favorite panel? I had a couple choices, but I, I think my winner is on page seventeen and it's the panel after Hellcat has used that mental power blast to knock everybody out and it's just a room full of good guys and bad guys laid out and um she is kind of leaning tiredly against a a pillar and muttering to herself cheese and crackers (laughs) it is such a delightful catchphrase Mm -hmm. and very patsy and that is a really nice panel i liked that one a lot too i think my favorite is probably the one i call hot dog slap and it is on page three and it is Sagittarius slapping a hot dog into a businessman's face. <laughs> he looks so upset to, to be getting a hot dog slap. There's a good pun, too. There is. Well, there's a pun. <laughs> uh, you see that Batrock the Leaper is, uh, already we have left the gendarmes far behind uh, as he jumps over a turnstile. And that's kind of what is centering the panel. And Sagittarius runs by a businessman and says, One side, Slowpoke. Quite frankly, the subway is no place for hot-dogging. Is that a pun? Well, hot- Is he saying- who is the Is the businessman who's getting hot-dog slapped hot-dogging in any way? Because, I mean, I get where you could see that Batrock the Leaper is hot-dogging a little bit, but he's not being chastised in any way for, for that. I chose to think he was referring to the- To Batrock? Yeah, the dexterous Frenchman as- hot dogging but also i like that he said frankly maybe that was unintentional oh okay that is absolutely intentional i missed that one and now i love it all right (laughs) the other panel that i really like it's on page 27 and it's also the one that had my favorite dialogue it is what valkyrie sees kyle as as he is approaching her she sees this hideous troll leaping at her but what really makes the whole panel for me is that the troll has a weird mustache like Batrock the Leaper. Oh yeah, look at that. The troll's overly manicured little tiny mustache is really, really funny to me. And I love that that's how she pictures Nighthawk in her heart of hearts. He looks like a terrifying version of uh, Oompa Loompa from like the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Yes, movie. which is redundant because those Oompa Loompas were terrifying in that movie. But he's also perhaps, given the fanciness of his mustache, like the maitre d' for the other Oompa Loompas. Like, he's upset that the other Oompa Loompas didn't make a reservation at the Chocolate River. I get what you're saying. I think he. I think this is a order of magnitude creepier than the movie Oompa Loompas. He looks murderous and his teeth are sharp. They looked murderous too, I think. A different kind of murderer, I guess. See, this one's doing a crime of passion with the other Oompa Loompas. It seems more like premeditated and they, they're going to get away with it. Yeah. They're more dispassionate murderers who planned it out and feel nothing when they kill you. This guy at least is into it. I don't know what I prefer. Yeah, they're both bad. They're both bad. Corey, we both know that the Hulk rules. In this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? Yeah, for me... His absence from the issue spoke volumes, Mm. and I think he's taking a page from two really good thinkers from our century, one, the rapper and actor Ludacris, Mm -hmm. and the other, Dr. Susan David, and 
So there's kind of a combination of things going on here. One is he's off taking some time after just all the stuff that went on in the in the last issue and he's acknowledging that there's just too many rookies, not enough pros, and that he needs to practice emotional agility. Hmm. Which is uh what what Susan David writes about. And so that's, you know, showing up, being present, realizing that you're having these feelings or these emotions but they don't necessarily completely define you and that that experience doesn't define you so i think he's going to take his time he's going to come back and then also they'll be greatly relieved that the defenders is back down to a, a smaller number of non-team members hmm. i think that's a good rule that we should all learn too many rookies not enough pros full stop i think that's good mm-hmm. i think that it's nice that the hook doesn't want to focus on the second half of that rhyme. <laughs> no, that would be bad. Yes, it really would. I had the Hulk's rule as being one that he learned from the shocker. And that is, don't make assumptions about people based on their names. <laughs> yeah, good rule. Enough said. <laughs> yeah. A certain uh, hand job in a minivan will agree with that one. You don't even have a minivan. Yeah. <laughs> so many assumptions. <laughs> yeah. Well, Corey, I think the time has come for us to write some Wongs. Oh, that sounds good. Okay. What Wongs needed writing in the year of our Lord, 1978, and the month of our Lord, October? So, some listeners may remember from the previous installment that in August, we're in October now, but back in August, Wong had a little bit of a a bad time with the accidental LSD ingestion during the zombie movie and then the running from one part of Italy to another and then commandeering the car and accidentally winning the Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. Anyway, to get away from all that and kind of get back in tune with himself, he really likes taking some time in nature, especially in the beautiful forests of the Pacific Northwest. And he found himself up in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, where he had went to vacation and, and get away from things. Coincidentally, though, it seems like he just can't get away from Mario Andretti, who was also in Canada at that time. And I realize it's a big country, but they were both in the same country. <laughs> and uh, Andretti has a, a big race. It's the it's the Canadian Grand Prix. And um, he comes in 10th. Ooh. And he's just like, what the fuck is going on? Man, I wish I could drive like that guy that came tearing into the pit and pushed me out of the way and took my car. So to get himself together... Uh, Andretti also had gone up to to BC, and lo and behold, they bumped into each other right there, walking down busy Robson Street doing some shopping, and he's like, oh my god, you're totally that guy, and and they uh, went and they got a beer, and they started talking, and they got along really well, and Andretti says to him, look man, I got this other race coming up, and I just came in 10th at this one, and it's, it's really weighing on me, do you think you could coach me? Because you did such an awesome fucking job winning that race back in Monza, Italy. So did he give him a bag of LSD and some zombie movies? He gave him the first part. (laughs) And they went to the track. And there's this whole psychedelic training montage. But then, yeah, later that month, Andretti went on to win uh, the first Formula One World Driving Championship. And that was really him this time? It was really him with some psychedelic coaching from his buddy Wong. Very nice. So that was the uh, the Wong that had been righted. Well, that was not the only celebrity that Wong encountered that month. Wong, uh, in addition to his interest in engineering in general, had been dabbling with some genetic engineering. And 
was uh, trying to work out, concurrent to that, a teleportation device similar to Jeff Goldblum's uh, from The Fly. Oh, no. And he was uh, showing this device to some people and some of his friends in the record industry. And they brought some of their friends over. And Joe Perry and Steven Tyler ended up hanging out in his lab when he demonstrated his teleportation device for the first time. And he was tired of their shit. So he uh, flicked a cherry bomb at him. Whoa. Not generally in character for him, but he was pretty tired of the toxic twins, as they were known, shenanigans. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, a little piece of each of them ended up flying off into the teleportation device. Out the other end comes this new being that's uh, like a combination of the two of them in certain ways. And this is where, when Wong saw what was happening, he decided he needed to kind of curtail certain aspects of this creature's potential. And so he took this new being into his lab, and he was like, well, there are certain aspects of an amalgamation of Joe Perry and Steven Tyler that I think could be really useful. Uh, if we had the kind of dramatic frontsmanship of Steven Tyler and the musical acumen of Joe Perry, that sounds really useful. But uh, maybe try to get rid of this, uh, this addiction quality that they both seem to have right now. And so he was able to take that out of them, and that ended up with a creature that he decided to name Steve Perry. Oh, don't stop believing in the power of science. He didn't. And so he took Steve Perry and introduced him to some friends of his who were in a band called Journey. And uh, Steve Perry, amazing singer, great musicianship. But unlike Steve Tyler and Joe Perry, and frankly, unlike the rest of uh, Journey, he didn't party the way that they did, and he was more interested in focusing on the music and keeping his voice in good condition, and it kind of earned the resentment of the rest of Journey to a certain extent, but uh, that was the origin of uh, Steve Perry, wow. who became the lead singer for Journey in the same month that, I don't know the circumstances of it, but apparently Steven Tyler and Joe Perry were injured by a cherry bomb. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. I didn't realize that was part of the deal. Yeah. And that was the Wong that needed writing in October of 1978. Good one. Thanks. And thank you, dear listener, for joining us. Yes, thanks. This has been a real treat. I had to think about it, but I think this was a real treat. It was a hoot. Yeah. If you would like to get into touch with us, there are a myriad of ways to do, much like Rick Hansen who sang us in earlier and then left abruptly afterwards, as he always does, you can send us some mail at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. That's a nice way to get into touch with us. I always like getting mail. Hey, if you send us something, we'll open it on the air. That'll be fun for yeah, everybody. That was a good time. Mm-hmm. You can also contact us electronically, as this is the future. If you'd like to do that, you can do so at ttwasteland.gmail.com. Uh, we are all up in every aspect of the internet. Left, right, front, center, back, forth. To the side, to the side. Mm-hmm. To the left, to the right, to the front, to the back, to the side, to the side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why not look there for us? Yeah, just type, tighten up the defense into your browser and see what happens. Maybe you'll go to LinkedIn. Could be you'll end up on LinkedIn. Could be you'll end up on Facebook or Twitter or 
um, Instagram or could be you end up in the dark web. I don't know if we're there. I don't think so. I don't think that's. I mean, I don't think that's how you get. I don't know what the dark web is, Corey. I don't know how to get there either. That's good. So I assume we're not there. Okay. What if like it's a mirror mirror situation and we're there, but we have goatees. I mean, we do, I think both have goatees now, but we have rest of beards beard attached attached to it. So I don't know if it counts as a goatee. So maybe it's different, but maybe in that universe, we would just not have the mustache part of our beard and we'd look like Dr. Zayas or Abraham Lincoln. I think we just have giant soul patches. Oh God. It's the dark web. Don't go to the dark web. (laughs) Instead, why not leave us a review on, yeah, hell, anywhere that's taken reviews. Leave us a review on Yelp. Is that a thing you can do for podcasts? Probably not. It's worth a try. Yeah, do your best. But you can leave us a review on whatever pod listening device you're using to listen to us right now. Just open that thing up and type in that tighten up the defense is too Perfect baby angels from heaven. Great at getting haircuts. A plus. Other ways you can support the show? Well, you can donate to us monetarily at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get a bunch of bonus material. I sent out a Bronze Age comic book from my personal collection to a donor today. And so there are tiers of donation where I do that. There are others where you get to watch weekly, at least weekly, videos of classic comics that I make. Uh, I just reviewed Atari Force, which was so much fun, and Chuck Norris's Karate Commandos, which was a comic book of sorts. And there's also the monthly podcast that I co-host with Lisa called What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That's where we talk about Steve Gerber's Howard the Duck. And uh, yeah, I think that one's a lot of fun, too. But mostly, donation is a way for you to support us and let us know that you appreciate what we're doing and would like us to keep doing it. So thank you so much, everybody, who has been doing that. It has been really wonderful and really gratifying. And also really useful as I've been out of work lately. So (laughs) thank you very much. So this is The Missionary. And I guess that makes me a handjob at a minivan. Signing off. Have fun. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. You know what? Do things that I wouldn't do. That my (laughs) name would imply that I wouldn't do. You just have fun out there. Goodbye. Bye. And they knew it. One vote for the shocker for uh for really putting one in his stick. Um, <laughs> uh, and one vote No uh, Okay. And one... <laughs> Should I edit that out? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> the audience can't see me shaking my head vigorously <laughs> when you're uh saying that so i don't know and uh one vote for the shocker for really sticking it to kyle